Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and if you're joining us for the first time or the 50th time, welcome to Valor Studios. For those of you who don't know, we are a tabletop role-playing content company, and we love sharing our stories with the world. If you're watching us here on Twitch tonight, thank you for stopping by and joining in on the discussion. Uh, definitely give us a follow so you know that when we're live with Rollin' Bones, with Axion, or with any of the other great programs that we have here on Valor Studios. And if you want to support us further, uh, that subscribe button is down there at the bottom. We appreciate everyone who hits that because uh, you're helping us continue to do what we love doing here on Valor Studios. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications. Uh, that way you know in these uncertain algorithmic times when it comes to, to YouTube, uh, when we've got new content available, again, for Rollin' Bones, for Axion, and for all the other shows that we do here on Valor Studios. And, uh, you know, like, if you like what we're doing, leave a comment. If you want to join in on the discussion, we appreciate any feedback that way. And we also want to thank those of you who listen on audio. I'm glad that everyone who listens there is supporting us in the OG format of Rollin' Bones. You guys are great. You've been here since the beginning, and I will always uh, love you now and forever. Throughout the stream, you'll be able to see some links to uh, Twitter, Discord, and several other things, including a very important GoFundMe campaign that we'll be talking about at the end of the episode. Uh, so you guys will see that as we mention stuff, or just periodically, Gregory will throw it up there for you guys to see. And uh, yeah, that is all that we have to do as far as housekeeping. So let's get into uh, today's guest. He's been on Rolling Bones before. Uh, you all know him as the proprietor of Tankar's Tavern, the bartender in the OSR. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome back to Rolling Bones, the one, the only Eric Tankar. Raise your glasses, raise your beers, whatever you're drinking tonight. Tankar is here on Rolling Bones. Folks, God bless you. Nice to be here. Uh, beer of the night is light sky because I'm watching my cards. And tonight I am drinking a Mill Creek Brewing Premium Lager from right here in Nolansville, Tennessee. Very cool. Into the last drop. <laughs> They're not even paying me to say that. There you go. Absolutely. So, uh, Eric, thank you for, uh, you know, kind of taking a break here in, in your vacation to uh, to, you know, come on Rolling Bones. I appreciate it. I have a terrible habit of scheduling people during their vacations, but listen, you go on vacation when the uh, calendar allows it. I'm just lucky that uh, I'm able to do so and bring enough equipment with me to do these streams, do my own videos. So it all worked out OK. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well. Tonight, there are, you know, a couple things that I wanted to discuss with you. This isn't the kind of episode that I like doing on Rollin' Bones, because uh, we have to talk about some kind of negative things that have happened in the RPG world. But the main thing I wanted to talk with you about tonight is the drama that's kind of arisen around Jameson Stone, Satine Phoenix, and Apotheosis Studios. And for anyone who is unfamiliar with this drama uh the best place to start in my opinion is the stream that eric did with uh bad mike and skeeter green uh who you will recognize if you are a faithful fan of rolling bones Peterson. they did a oh sorry go ahead 
Peter's amazing. I'm just saying, as <laughs> as a guest, if you're gonna have him on your your stream, uh, Skeeter is a force of nature. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Ske- there, there's no one out there quite like Skeeter Green. No. And he calls it as he sees it. There's no, mm-hmm. I'd say it's absolutely no filter, but he's, gonna, he's not going to sugarcoat it. If he has an issue with something, he'll tell you. And you want that, actually, in people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they did a stream where they kind of broke down really the, the ins and outs of the drama. As always, uh, you know, Eric brought the receipts for for a lot of it, uh, which is what I think you're, you really do better than anyone else in the RPG world is when you talk about these unpleasant topics like this, you've come prepared with the data and you don't stray too far from what we can prove. Listen, there are times I will say, listen, I have a theory or I'm going to spitball. I will hypothesize. But when I'm going to talk about facts, I will bring the facts. There there are things that I will know, but maybe I don't have a source that I can name or I don't have two sources, which I usually like to have. So there's information that doesn't get shared sometimes in in these things. I I, I was a, a cop for 20 years in my last my last 14 as a sergeant, my last 12 of those in internal affairs. So you document everything. And if it isn't documented, you're not going to be able to prove it in court. And I'm not that I'm trying to prove anything in court, but there's the court of public opinion. You don't want to, you know, say something as fact and not be able to show it as fact. Screenshots are Something that I've been doing, I guess, since uh, dealing with Gail Gygax uh, back in 2015 mm-hmm. with the Gygax Memorial Fund. And I realized the importance of documenting conversations because people will forget conversations that they've had if they're not to their benefit. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular. It happens to all of us. But document it and you can remind people the conversation that was had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably just because you are someone who is going to call out shenanigans when you see it. But it seems like you you have a tendency to run afoul of the Gail Gygaxes, the uh, the Ken Whitmans, and and unfortunately the Justin Lanasses of the world. In general, I'm going to make a general statement. If you are looking to take advantage of my community or I feel that you are taking advantage of my community, you're going to probably be looked at by me. Again, I was in internal affairs, which meant that I was policing police officers or investigating complaints against members of the service. That's your own people. And you don't look for guilt or innocence. You look for the truth. I have dealt with people in, in these times where I was assuming that I was... In my mind, I'm assuming I'm going to be dealing with an individual who has not the best of intentions, and then you actually speak with them and deal with them, and like I said, people who can show you the receipts, and then you realize, all right, I got to change my perspective. I got to make sure I'm looking for the truth, not looking for the answer that I think I'm going to get, and that's a balancing act. And sometimes it's human nature. We want to, we come in with, with our own theory and you look for evidence that tries to fill that theory. I, I try to remember what I was uh, taught early on, which is if you follow the truth, everything else will fall into place. Hmm. Absolutely. So. Now, to kind of begin our discussion of the, uh, the drama surrounding uh, this RPG power couple is probably the, the way yeah. that it would best be put. Can you give just a general overview of what happened for anyone out there who hasn't been following this drama as, as it's unfolded? All right. Well, I, 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 I'm on vacation, so I don't have my, my normal second screen going with all my other stuff because that's generally, but um, what happened with Jameson is that the, RPG world, our our larger community was very surprised when somebody came out on Twitter who happened to be a professional tattooist, tattoo artist, who was working with Jameson 
and basically brought receipts and uh, gave a very uh, I don't person I don't enjoy Twitter because it's hard to read somebody's story in seventeen posts where you got to follow each each one, but it was a very thorough accounting of what went on with Jameson, uh, how he felt he was gaslighted, which was a word that I used to always hear and then finally said to myself, you know what, I'm, I'm no longer going to be like the old AD&D player who assumed words that Gary wrote by finding the context around it. I'm going to look this up and actually make sure that my definition of gaslighting was right. And though I was in the area, it's it's literally telling somebody that their their reality is not the reality they thought it was, that you're totally wrong. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what reality is. And this individual came forward, and if it was only the one individual coming forward, it would have gone away. And I think that's what the expectation was with the power couple, with Satine and Jameson. And Jameson had his uh, reply ready. It was ready so quickly, and it was written so well, I actually figure... Now, this is where I'm going to go into that. I'm going to hypothesize that he'd already heard rumblings that this person was complaining about him and had sat down, possibly with legal counsel, and had a reply ready. So when it came out, he had his reply. The only problem was one person coming forward, it, 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 it's like a Dutch dike. You know, it's all, you get that first leak, and then you get the second leak, and you get the third leak, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth. And uh, before you know it, there was a website that was linking to all the different Twitter stories about Jameson and Satine, mostly about Jameson. Um, there was some stuff about Satine, usually in conjunction with Jameson, exposing, talking about the negative issues of dealing with them, uh, verbal abuse. One woman was talking that uh, she thought she was going to be uh, put in an awkward sexual situation with Jameson. Um, it was one of the situations where if you saw one or two complaints, you'd go, all right, well, we can't prove this in a court of law. You got over a dozen, it starts becoming an issue. And in this case, Jameson made the public announcement that he was resigning as CEO of Apotheosis Studios. And Apotheosis Studios is going to do an investigation on his potential misconduct. And then I think last week or a week and a half ago, the their, the results came, and the results were that, uh, well, first off, he resigned as CEO, but he still owns the company, and he didn't go anywhere. Uh, and he never said he actually left. He just said he resigned, but you inferred that he left the way they wrote it. And that uh, they found that most of the evidence against him was uh, not proven, and not and it doesn't say false. It says it wasn't proven or was unsubstantiated, which are all terms that we used to use in internal affairs. You had a case that you couldn't prove or disprove. It's unsubstantiated. Even if you said in your heart you knew this person did it, but you couldn't present the evidence to do so, unsubstantiated. So when you have a company who's owned by the person that you're investigating and doing the investigation, I personally don't know my own background if that was a good faith effort to actually investigate the situation. Mm -hmm. it, I can't. It was that. Idea. Yeah, but it just doesn't feel right to me. It, it was that meme of the, and I don't know which police chief it is, but there's this meme that goes around every now and then of a police chief at a press conference that says after a after we conducted a thorough investigation of ourselves, we have determined. Uh, there was no wrongdoing on our part. You know, and that's the reason why, but for a number of years, my position in the in in internal affairs was mm -hmm. liaison to our civilian complaint review board that yep. oversaw us. So you know, you, you often mm -hmm. you don't want your own people. In this case, they're not investigators, but your own board investigating their CEO slash owner because. If you find them at fault, you probably don't have a job. But also, you might not have a company. Mm -hmm. So it, it's one of those investigations which I will truthfully say I personally don't have much of a faith in, but 
what kind of investigations are we really doing in the RPG industry? How big are these companies? Yeah. They're not big. Hmm. And they can't afford to get a third party to do the investigation. Right? Yeah. I, I know of only one real investigator in the RPG community. It's it's John Goff. And uh, he's very busy with other things. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's. it's you know, most of these companies, and I know a lot of people forget this. Hyzo being unionized meant that, what, maybe two or three dozen employees are now in a union? Mm-hmm. And that's a small company when you think yeah. about the size of companies. And that's the second largest publishing company in gaming, right after Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. You know? So these companies aren't as big as we like to think. Apotheosis, I think, had maybe three or four people that were employed. I don't think they were even full-time employees. Probably not. So, <laughs> and and something else to to point out uh, before we go too much further, uh, as Eric said, he doesn't have a second screen here. But if you go to the videos on Tenkar's Tavern, he does have a second screen, and that's where all of the all of these stories, all of this evidence that that we're discussing has been shown. So, for those of you who are wondering where that might be, that's you know those are resources that you can go to to see. Uh, the actual uh, documents, Twitter threads, the the sources of information that we're pulling all of our information from are shown in those videos. Thank you. Absolutely. We uh, we we don't want to we don't want people to think we're just going off half cocked here. This is stuff that has been uh, gone over. Yeah, and I mean, mm-hmm. I, oh god, I I I. It, if I was home on my desktop, I always have the tab open to the one website that was tracking all 12 or 13 Twitter feeds because every <laughs> once in a while I want to go and see that they add a new feed. Is there something that new that popped up on it? So, mm-hmm. but it's not on my, not on my laptop. So, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as it's being pointed out in chat, the, the word allegedly does apply to a lot of this, but yep. yeah, it's, this is what we're dealing with is we have a lot of first or second hand accounts. And again, this isn't court, so we we can't say definitively what did or did not happen. They can't in court either, but right. This, you know, um, this would be considered doing due diligence. Like you're look, you're, you're looking at a Kickstarter and you're looking at the, the, the history of the Kickstarter creator. And you can say that, all right, they've, they've hit the mark seven times and they've delivered set early seven times. You always get what you want. All right, well, I did my due diligence and it looks like they're likely going to be good again. Or you look at Ken Whitman's history. You do your due diligence. Would you ever back another thing for him again? No. Now, in his case, yes, he actually was taken to court. That's a whole other story. But, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, you can't... There was... There, there's, there's, there's certain phrases that you, you, you know, you, you can't use. It came up with, uh, oh, the Zach Smith uh, case against uh, Gen Con, and mm-hmm. they, they didn't use due diligence. They said due process, and they said they did their due process, and that is why Zach got uh, banned from Gen Con. Well, due process, due process is a legal term. You know, you can't. You're saying you didn't do process. You're saying that the person went through a, a legal investigation, a legal decision. That that's not what happened. So right. That, that's. But in this situation with uh, with Jameson and Satine, obviously we have the issues of verbal abuse and and specifically abuse of freelancers who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting for their projects. Uh, I'm going to put that to the side real quick, because the other issue that we have that came up kind of parallel to the uh, issues of, of Jameson Stone verbally abusing people, we also have accusations and lawsuits relating to misappropriation of Kickstarter funds. Which, uh, you know, as Eric mentioned, has been an issue in uh, the RPG world uh, several times over. 
I don't know if it's two or if it's just one, but I, I believe there are two at this point ongoing suits that um Satine is named in when it comes to misappropriation of Kickstarter funds. Yeah, and that's and and that becomes like again, that's a legal action. And if uh and generally speaking in our in, in our hobby, something like that becomes one of those it's alleged and it becomes a civil mm -hmm. action because it, generally it's the individual who's trying to sue to get their money back. It's right. not it's not a government agency. It's charging with all right. There was fraud going on. I I haven't seen that yet, but I have seen. Listen, uh, they, I think they still have two Kickstarters that are funded, but not fulfilled. And I know on one of them, it, the update was kind of like, uh, yeah, we're gonna start shipping to our American backers first. Well, why would you only ship to the American backers first unless you don't have the money? To ship overseas. So if you were an overseas backer, I would be thinking if, if I was out in the UK or Germany, I'd be going, I, I'm gonna do a chargeback because I'm not gonna I'm probably not gonna see this. If they're holding off on shipping to me, because let's be honest, uh Apatheosos is probably never going to do another Kickstarter. That that name is is going to be a dead name, a dead company. Uh, I'm not saying that they won't come back, Jameson and Satine. But they're going to have to come back as a as a new corporate entity to kind of wipe away the sins or wipe away the, the bad karma of the of the prior version. And if that could, if that happens, it also means that likely that company would go bankrupt. And if it goes bankrupt, people who have not been made whole yet in their backing are you're last. By the way, as as a customer for any company. You are the last one to get made whole. Creditors get get made whole first. You're not a creditor. You're you're, you're just a customer. So you are the last in line when it comes to uh, getting a refund. So it's it's going to be interesting. I even if they move on, the the the, the social media hit because these two are social media um, entities. You know, yep. This is where they get their following. This is how they they make a lot of their money. When you hit them where it hurts, in this case, their actual presence, when people no longer look at them as, hey, there's a teen at, at, at Gary Khan with her. And I got, I got misquoted on this one, but I said that I saw her at uh, Gary Khan a number of years ago, and she had her entourage around her. She was always surrounded by, by, by people. And I made a D&D &D joke that she was protected by a 10-foot radius against normal gamers. <laughs> yep. And then somebody misquoted me and said that I said that at the wedding, she was surrounded by bodyguards. And I was like, well, I wasn't at the wedding. I wasn't at the last uh, Gary Con. Um, and I, if I was at Gary Con, I wouldn't have attended the wedding because that's just not my stick. They're not, they're not in my circle. But I... I, they took my innocent joke, which is a gamer joke, and then turned it into Tenkor said that they were surrounded by bodyguards. But and the funny thing is, their their wedding is held in character and all this other stuff. But they were actually legally married prior to the wedding, so the <laughs> wedding was just um, a show wedding, or an excuse to party, or whatever. I don't know. Again, I wasn't there. So, yep. And and this gets into one of the other things. The thing that really drove me up a wall about this particular incident, and I, I will admit, I did not see any of this coming. I don't. I don't know Jameson. I don't know Satine at all. And I was thinking about reaching out to them to be on Rolling Bones before. All of this happened because they are very, you know, influent or were, I should say, uh, the, yeah. the influence is gone at this point, but they were very influential within this hobby. Um, but what drove me up the wall about this, this it felt a step beyond even what kind of your your regular run of the mill shyster 
in the RPG world had done because these were people who were given the keys to the kingdom as far as this hobby goes. They were on the streams. They were hobnobbing with all of the uh, the who's who of the RPG world. They were, like you said on your stream, the beautiful people. Yeah. And Our this club. whole time, unlike a lot of the other people who or most of the other people who fall into that category, you're, you know, your Joe Manganellos, your Deborah Ann Wools, your Matthew Lillards, your Matt Mercers, who have a genuine love for this game and this hobby and, you know, seem to be doing what they're doing because they love gaming. These two were doing it to build themselves up and to build up their kind of base of power and influence at the expense of other people. And that really really got on my nerves well you know when you these other people that you're referring to right we, we see them on screens we see them running games and they enjoy the process mm-hmm. all right and and joe manginello I, I i i saw him once and i was just like oh that's but he seemed like a regular person right he wasn't surrounded by this entourage there yeah. was this cult of personality going on in this case where the cult of personality, in my opinion, was was there to be monetized, and that was what was being done. Uh, and, and I've I've gotten to some online discussions with people. I don't know if you remember the uh, Ateen and uh, Picorni when they were doing their what, fantasy vacation exotic locations uh, Kickstarter. Yep. When it was like, I why would I want to back a Kickstarter? In my opinion for uh, two important people in the hobby to go hot play D&D in Iceland or play it in you know in Antarctica what 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 does that do for me what mm-hmm. but it's paying for these people to go on vacation on my dime so they can film it to make money off what they filmed yeah that to me was the cult of personality that was going on over there you don't see that with the other people that you're talking about because I, I'm, I'm going to guess uh, people like Joe Manganiello, uh, m- maybe, you know, their upbringing, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're happy that they got that position they got and the fame they got. Mm-hmm. But from people I, I know that have spoken with Joe, he seems pretty regular person. Yep. If you look at Satine with her fake ears and uh, Jameson with his hair and outfits that's not normal people right they're they're playing they're playing a role even when you see them they're not you're not going to see them as themselves because what what self is there that isn't part of the costume when they're in public i don't know mm-hmm. every time you see them at a con you know it's like oh they're set team with her fake ears on and in costume it's a constant cosplay i don't get it Maybe yeah. I'm too old for this crap. I have no idea. And I mean, like, it's not. I, I'm also someone who. Uh, doesn't get it, but I'm also kind of of the generation that's the uh, kind of, you know, the target for that particular. Right. Uh, performance, I, I guess, is the, the best way to put it. A lot of the people who are my age in their 20s. Uh, who are coming into this hobby or coming in through something like Critical Role or other, you know, streams, other cosplayers that they follow. Uh, you know, another one who comes to mind, uh, it, Jenny D has a, a very large, very young fan base uh, that she's kind of, you know, bringing into the hobby with her. But I'm, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get specifically those two. I understand the Critical Role fans. I understand the Jenny D fans. And I think that, you know, what both of those groups are doing are very, you know, it's it's authentic. There There is a love for what they're doing there. But with these two, I I, I have to confess, I, I don't really understand what the appeal was. That team got her start with somebody I already mentioned, Zach Smith. She was yep. part of his... Uh, D&D with porn stars, uh, mm-hmm. 
channel that you know the vid channel and after that uh, she got the position as what the D&D ambassador uh, community manager yep. whatever the actual title was and my understanding uh, and I've I've heard rumors it doesn't mean it's true but my understanding is that she was hired as potentially a favor to Zach or because Zach gave a good nod and that the most of the suits over at Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro did not have any idea what her background was. Mm-hmm. Those don't realize her background was in adult movies. Um, and when somebody, and, and I don't, don't even ask how we know, somebody found out at Wizards what her background was and said, how can we have this as our brand ambassador to a game that we're aiming at teenagers or preteens? And her contract was not renewed. Right. She was never fired. And if anybody says that she was fired, she was never fired. She was on a contract. And when her contract expired, it was not renewed. So, but she was already making a name for herself before that as a personality. But when she became... Uh, again, the ambassador for D&D, all of a sudden, her profile rose. So even when she lost that contract, she still kept the following to a large extent of what she had built. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know... Uh, again, most of what we've seen from Apotheosis Studios is not written by Satine or by Jameson. It's written by freelancers, like you were yep. mentioning earlier. And this this hobby, this industry, uh, gaming, whether it is the larger... RPG industry or the smaller OSR, which I'm largely involved in, um, it's built on freelancers. It's built on people that are doing this in their part-time, and maybe that's allowing them to have a spouse to stay home with their kids or makes their car payment or, you know, it gives them a chance to go on a vacation. But these people, they're doing this because they they love it and because they're looking to make some extra money. They're not making a living off it. Satine and Jameson were making a living off this without kind of doing the work. They found they found a good gig. They found mm-hmm. uh, a good place for themselves. They they did a great job at at monetizing it and at making it into a business. But that's and and to be able to do it and not be one of those handful of really great creators, you know, uh, like Monty Cook or Sean Reynolds who can do this job, you know, full-time and have an amazing company. Uh, They did it, I think, based on personality, the way they came over. Uh, Not going to, you know, evaluate their personalities. I'm not uh, not, uh, trained in that. Like I said, my wife and I, we did a, a Gamer's Health episode over the weekend about narcissists. Because there's a large number of narcissists in our gaming community because they can be very charismatic when you first meet them because they can, because they have a lot of confidence in themselves because they believe that they are the best at what they do. And that confidence can be charismatic. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's weird how there are so many people like Ken Whitman uh, that can pull off, in Ken's case, and I don't think he'll deny it, schemes time and time again and just keep coming back. But they're, you know, I think uh, in gaming terms, I would say Ken has like a natural 19 charisma the first yeah. time you meet him. The first time you meet him, it's like a 19. It's like an automatic charm person on you. You're like, <laughs> and then you step away and you come back and you go, what the hell was I thinking about? So mm-hmm. it's a weird situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do at this point want to go back to the discussion of the freelancers because it it's one of those things. Again, it's, it's one of those just little details that, that irritates me because like you said, it, it was their faces that were selling the book, yep. which is not, it's not nothing, but at the same time, these freelancers who were actually doing the work, actually writing these books, actually drawing the the drawings that went in them, 
it's not even that they weren't getting their due. It's that they were getting basically treated at best like the help and at worst they were being uh you know berated and belittled and and uh stiffed on their pay and i hate to say it but it's not uncommon in our industry Mm -hmm. Uh, there are certain companies that have a very good reputation for paying on time paying on delivery uh you know, Frog God, I worked with Frog God for a while, you know, at, at conventions or in our tables, but Bill Webb has a reputation of paying upon, hey, you fulfill delivery? You know, he'll be out eating and on his cell phone finding a way to make a payment because he understands what it's like to be waiting to get paid. Uh, other Others, what, pay it like, you know, 30 days after, after submission. Some people, some companies pay after approval. And that was the problem here, is that Jameson was saying, well, we didn't approve your work. Well, it, what does approval mean? It, it could mean that we didn't have an editor assigned to it, so it'll sit in the slush pile for three to six months, and then once it gets looked at, then you get paid for it. I mean, that's... It's, 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 it's potentially very slimy, and again, people are are, are relying upon this freelance work often to make ends meet and that's you're you're abusing members of your own community when you do that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and this is one of the things that skeeter made really good points about when he was talking about the the freelancer side of things on your stream and as he put it uh companies that you have in his in his words definitely heard of have policies of paying net 30 days Upon publication of the book, I believe was yeah. the terms that he outlined. Yeah, and I know I think of two companies, but again, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to name them because if I'm wrong, I, I'd be I'd be damning with no praise. Right. Um, but yeah, and think about that. So, thirty days after publication, how long does a book take to get published? I mean, it can take six months to a year. Uh, I I I know of freelancers who have gotten payments for stuff and like, when did I do this? Oh, I wrote this two years ago, and the you know, the check lands. I I can't imagine how that would be if you were somebody who's relying upon freelance work to 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 make the bills get paid. If you can't predict when the money's going to come in, it's it's a horror. <laughs> Absolutely. Just to pull some some kind of like positives out of this, what, what's been kind of a negative discussion so far, okay. unfortunately. Um, like you said, Frog God, Bill Webb is a great guy. I've had him on the show before. I, I love Bill. And the fact that he takes care of uh, his people that way, it it just makes me all the more willing to support everything that Frog God is doing. And then Lou in chat here points out that Goodman Games pays uh, once the shipment reaches them. So, you know, if you guys want more reason to support Frog God and Goodman Games, there you go. They they take care of their freelancers. Yeah, I haven't heard any complaints from any of the freelancers at Goodman. Um, and I, I, listen, I, I don't freelance, but little I have published it to my own uh, publishing uh, label. But uh, I know a lot of creatives in our industry and i've i've heard the complaints from people and i've heard the praise from people who got like oh this company is awesome you can usually it's it's i don't think i've heard any complaints with people from frog god i think i heard one complaint from goodman but i think that was an individual who had his own issues but uh for the most part again due diligence as a freelancer it's not hard to find out which companies are are the ones that will pay you promptly and and quickly and find out which ones are not likely to. You know, just you just have to be persistent in talking to people in your social networks. The, the answers are there. But no it, it's rare that anybody's gonna give you a, a list. Here are the companies that go to use and here's the companies that don't don't use uh, as a freelancer. Again, you gotta you gotta do a little work on yourself for that one. Mm-hmm. And and again, to, to shout out good work that uh, you know friends of mine and friends of yours have done. 
Uh, that's one of the main benefits, um, you know, that that Zach Glazer and Skeeter Green offer when they do their small publisher seminar is kind of oh, talking through God. those little yeah. details that no one will tell you when you first enter the RPG world. There's a, there's a lot of surprises. I mean, uh, when I when I tried to put together uh, Swords of War Three Continual Light initially, I I did my uh, I did my own layout because. You know, you figure you're self-publishing. You're trying to do everything, and I think the nicest thing that was said about my layout was, um, "It's usable." <laughs> Wasn't that it was good? It's usable. It suffices. I was like, "All right, well, not my specialty. Obviously, not something that I'm going to look forward to doing again." But uh, you got, you know, again. It, even as a freelancer, you have to know your limits. You have to know what you can produce and what time are you taking on a, a too big a project? Do you know the system? And, uh, you know, as, as a publisher taking on a new freelance, see, that's the thing too. If you're a freelancer that's been around for a while, but you have a reputation and usually if you're around for a while, it's a good reputation or else you wouldn't still be in it. And publishers look forward to that. And you're probably going to be the one of those that gets paid promptly or on time. And if a publisher has a habit of not paying promptly and on time, and you're new, you're probably going to be the one that gets sent to the back of the back of the line. Yep. That's nothing against you per se, except the fact that maybe if you've done a little research, you would have known that would be likely to happen. I hmm. don't know. Yeah, and something that I was glad that we got, um, you know, Bad Mike's perspective on, which, by the way. Um, I haven't reached out to Mike to to pitch him being on Rolling Bones yet, but we need to bring Mike on because oh, you should. Definitely. I, I, I talk about how much I love North Texas on the show with frequency, so uh, Bad Mike needs needs his time on Rolling Bones at some point. Yeah, no, Mike and I. It's funny because Mike and I have worked the tables at different cons for Frog God for a number of years, mm-hmm. and we would always banter back and forth, and we were telling stories and. Tell gossip because we de- we both get different gossip in the industry. Mm-hmm. And his wife one day said, "You know, the two of you should do a podcast together." And I was like, "Mike, what do you think?" He goes, "Yeah, why don't we try it?" So we were doing it on Discord, and I'm like, "Dude, like, yeah, we're doing it on 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 Discord and we're recording it, but let, why don't we go really live and do it on like YouTube?" He goes, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." Who's gonna watch that? Well, you know what? We got a lot of people watching it, either live or on the replays because. Bad Mike is a font of knowledge, of deep knowledge in this history, of this of this gaming community of of D and D in particular, but even some other obscurities. And his warehouse, I think at one point, probably had product from every Judges Guild release ever, there ever was, because he had bought out a collection years ago. When I say a collection, like he bought out somebody else's warehouse where they had hundreds of copies of each item, and he was selling it for years. So he really. Is a he's a great resource to have, and when we do the live stream, it's great to have Mike because if I say crap and Mike disagrees with me, he'll he'll call me on it. Yeah, you know, this is, I have no fear of Mike's never gonna you know blow smoke for me. He's never gonna he'll be like yeah, you, you know you're kind of wrong. I'm like oh, <laughs> Mike tells me I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. It's why it's why we joke that you know he's my work spouse once a week. <laughs> Yeah, my Rach has to give give me up once a week because we really do have a great relationship when it comes to the, the live stream. I think the chemistry there shows, but um, yeah, I, I I trust Mike with my life really when it comes down to it because uh, he's he can finish sentences for me when we do the live stream and he has and I've probably done it for him and that's a rarity. It really is. So it, he's been a blessing. So yes, get him on, and he can give you not just the history of North Texas, but you're going to get history of some, you know, old D and D modules and releases. I am still amazed at what Mike can bring up and go. And I look at him like I I thought I knew history, but I don't know history of this like he does. So yeah, absolutely. So I'll say it here for everyone to hear. Bad Mike, I'm coming for you. Uh oh, okay. check your I'll, inbox. I'll, I'll let him know. <laughs> but one of the things that he really brought to the conversation was the discussion, because there's 
and and it's a lot of the kind of stereotype of the OSR old men yelling at cloud uh, yep. types who are like, well, why do we have these streamers or these influencers at our gaming conventions to begin with? And Mike was very good at pointing out that these are people who are bringing people to conventions. And as convention organizers, unless you're North Texas that wants to curate a very specific feel for your con you want the most possible people there so that you know everyone gets paid yeah i mean uh, conventions are not very few conventions are done for the sake of having a convention uh right. north texas was built in a idea doug doug ray god rest his soul uh doug would say you know he takes his family on vacation once a year and the vacation for him was north texas so if he lost ten grand on North Texas in a year, he could afford it, and he was fine with it because that was for him, his time, his his space. It was his nirvana, if you want to go that far. Yeah. But um, other conventions can't afford to lose the money. They they expect to make a profit. Uh, some of them have even with volunteers. You're putting volunteers in rooms. You're you're possibly feeding your volunteers. Your special guests are getting rooms and food, and in some cases, transportation. It gets expensive. Now, um, North Texas gives special guests. These, they get uh, rooms, and they get a food voucher. I think some even get transportation costs, but, you know, Skeeter's a special guest. Skeeter gets to be just a special guest because he's Skeeter. He doesn't get real benefits for it, but he does go to North Texas. Mm -hmm. And it is something that is community. Game Hall is an amazing convention. Alex runs an amazing show. Oh, my God. Um, but he's not going to lose money on it. He can't afford to lose money on it. And that's a much right. larger venue. So you have people like that that will bring stuff in. Gen Con, Satine's appearance at Gen Con this year has been canceled. She said <laughs> for her safety, but... Um, Gen Con has a policy of not announcing anybody who's been removed from the convention, and they've only broken that policy twice. Once was the uh, Jeremy, the quartering, when he got assaulted off-site, he got mm -hmm. banned. And with uh, Zach, Zach Smith. Those mm -hmm. are the only two times that they've actually made an announcement. They will say, we don't announce when people have been removed or banned. So we don't we don't know what that situation is, but she brings in people. That's that's there's there's and I would guess I don't know, but I'm gonna guess that her appearances are paid appearances at a lot of these larger conventions, yeah. because if she brings in ten thousand dollars at your gate, you can afford to pay her a thousand or two to make an appearance, and you're still ahead. Smaller conventions in like North Texas that cap out at like 500 people, you can find ways to run that and run it in the black, not in the red like Doug did, God bless him, but you can run it in the black without having uh, those types of draws. But when you think about it, are they drawing in gamers or are they just drawing in people for a personality? Again, it's what you want for your con. Like you said, North Texas... You know what you're getting at North Texas? You're going to get a community where you can approach people. Uh, well, Tim, this is probably Tim's last time, but like you could come up to Tim Cask and you could, you know, talk to Tim, or depending on uh, Tim's mood, you could get cursed out by Tim. But <laughs> you'll get to, you would get to experience Tim Cask, which you're Tim, you know, goes to other cons. He goes to, went to Game Hall. He went to Gary Con. But those places are so packed with con attendees, gamers, that your opportunity to mingle with a special guest is is limited. Mm -hmm. um, North Texas, you bump into them, literally. and Because uh, I think North Texas probably has as many special guests as Gary Con does at like one-sixth the size. So mm -hmm. you really... you It's... If if you want to experience uh, a more intimate convention experience, something like North Texas. If you want the most organized gaming experience in the D and D world that runs like clockwork, uh, Alex Cameron's Game Hall is the place to be. 
because I've never seen anything get screwed up there. Amazingly one con. And Alex is just a wonderful guy. Alex is another guy that I need to bring on the show. I've gamed with him once before. Um, and I was planning on going to game hole last year. Things worked out so that I, I had had to cancel my my games and couldn't end up going. But game hole is one of those cons that I really want to get to. But, you know, one of the things that I think about when it comes to conventions, uh, I, I used to go to comic conventions a lot. And I, I I think about role playing conventions and and the way that they're they've moved in the past few years the the same way as comic conventions. It used to be that San Diego Comic Con was the small little event where you could walk up to a Stan Lee or a Jack Kirby or a John Byrne or you know pick your comics luminary at a table and talk with them for a little bit and get them to sign stuff and you know it. It was that kind of, you know, small convention feel where it's it's the guests and the professionals and everyone is there intermingling. But what San Diego is now is it's a bunch of uh, hyper curated experiences where the the people that you want to see are roped off. And if you pay an arm and a leg, you you might be able to get five seconds and a picture with, uh, you know, a Jason Momoa or someone like that. But the the ethos of it's the professionals and the people who have allowed the professionals to, uh, you know, do what they do and get paid for it, mingling together and getting to know each other. That's gone largely from most of your comic conventions. Oh, yeah. It, but it, but that has been gone for uh, a different field. Like, I used to go to Creation Con, science fiction mm. convention. And yeah. I think this is going back to probably mid-80s. Maybe even the early eighties when I maybe I was on my 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 teens, and you'd go and you know what you could find some B actors standing in a corner looking to sign, and it was fine. You could find vendors, you could find your paperbacks. Like oh my god, it was awesome. <clears throat> and then I didn't go for like ten years, and I went back and uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation was big, and they had uh, Deanna Troy. He had to spend it's co- going back to I guess the nineties. You had to spend, in addition to your admission fee, another $25 to see the seminar with Deanna. And if you wanted front row seats, it was 100 And if you wanted a guaranteed signed photograph, it was another 20 I was like, yeah. it was all being monetized. And that monetization hadn't been there 10 years ago. I can only imagine what it is now. Oh, it's, so, yeah. But it's all, it's all about making the profit and honestly listen when i used to go to comic book conventions in the new york city area i went to buy comic books right you wanted the overstock of the comic book stores that which are gone now anyway but you would look to go and get good deals or maybe find something that was rare that you really wanted oh yeah uh vendors aren't where the money is now right now the mm-hmm. now the money is selling something that's signed or giving you your five seconds next to some actor, it's a different, it's a, it's a different world. It, it's largely passed me by, which is why something like North Texas, I go to North Texas, I will play in one or two game sessions, but I'll socialize and spend my time at the vending tables and, and like this past North Texas, I spent, I don't know, so long talking to, with Darlene, my wife had to call me and find me <laughs> on, my, on my phone. She's like, where the are you? I'm like, oh, I'm talking with Darlene. She goes, really? I'm like, yeah. For how long? I go, last two hours. I was like, just... <laughs> she was yep. still making sales at her at her table, but we were just having a good time talking and relaxing. And then my wife came down and we then we purchased stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, all right. Now it's time to actually, you know, dig in our pockets and 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 take care of Darlene. But she just it, it was. You don't get that at other conventions. I don't know where you have that opportunity to spend that much time. It's just that like the world's passing you by, and mm-hmm. it sucks. And it does. Yeah, the the only other convention I can think of where there's that similar level uh, is Mace in North Carolina. Uh, I, I Mace went to it. Mace was the first gaming convention that I got to go to. 
And it's the first place where I actually met Shane Hensley because oh. he was just running games. He was there with Pinnacle and he was him and Clint Black and Jody Black were just running games and having a good time. And, you know, it, I thought it was cool because, you know, coming from comic conventions where it's this, you know, premium experience to to meet creators and, and people that you are there to see at this point. I was like, you mean I can just sit down at a table and Shane Hensley's going to run a game of Deadlands for me? Sweet. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But to see gaming conventions kind of go the way of comic conventions, I understand it. I get why it's happening. I don't like it, and I don't think it's long-term good for role-playing games because at some point... Uh, the party's gonna be over. Yeah. The at some point, Stranger Things will wrap up. The Critical Role crew will decide they have to focus on other things. And you know, think th- this uh, surge in RPG interest is going to go away at some point. Whether you think that's in five years, ten years, twenty years. At some point, it's all going to go away and it's going to be gamers who are kind of left holding the bag going, well, OK, what happened? What what happened to this thing we used to enjoy? It's a ghost town now. Yeah. And here's the thing. When you take away. The vendors from a convention or when you make them second class citizens and put them in a corner, I'm not going to say <laughs> which con really did that, but there is there is one con that put the vending hall 15 minutes away from gamers. Gamers go to vending halls in between games. Yeah. Sometimes you have 20 minutes to kill or you're looking to buy some dice. 15-minute walk ain't going to do it. But you're also not just losing out on the the vendors. You have to remember, a lot of your vendors at conventions in the gaming world are publishers. Mm-hmm. And this is where they get to meet their fans. Their fans get to meet them. And that's how a lot of times you get an idea if you're a publishing company. I know Frog God certainly has. Get feedback from your fans right in front. It's very, it's much more effective than somebody sending you an email. Mm-hmm. Actually talk to them. And get feedback. You're not going to get that feedback if you if your publishers and your vendors are no longer a core part of your convention. But they, they aren't in the comic book field. I know that. And it's been going yeah. on for a while. And I was a huge comic book collector when I was younger until my late 20s. And uh, comic books, in a way, have also priced themselves out of the hands of, of many collectors. Yeah. Uh, thank God RPGs haven't, because a lot of, even the 5e stuff is self-published on uh, DM's Guild. It makes it an affordable hobby. If you don't go crazy with it, it's affordable. Don't, yeah. don't tell my wife how much I spend. But um, in theory, it can be a very affordable hobby. But certain hobbies, again, price themselves out. Yeah. You know, I'll probably never buy another comic book again. I'll I'll read the digital collections of Conan. Uh, you know, I'll look at that and read that. But I'll I'll buy it on Amazon with my comicology comicology uh, membership at twenty yeah. percent discount because. I'm not, I, I can't. I can't pay the price to read a format that I'm only going to read probably once anyway. Like most of your comic books, you read once, unless you were a young kid. Then you read them until the pages fell out. But when you, when you, as an adult, you read the comic book once, you put it back in the bag and said, "This is going to be an investment." And that investment crapped out. RPGs. I don't think anybody's collecting modern RPGs, thinking that it's an investment, unless you're buying James Raggy stuff, and that might be depending on, you know, circumstances. But most of it is print on demand. You're not making money on reselling that, but you're enjoying it. So there's a difference between the two economies too. Yeah. Comics, comics fell out when, uh, you know, it's like oh, 17 different color covers for Spider-Man on the seventh reboot of the Spider-Man series to make us to have another number one. You, you kind of lose that. Thank God, very few RPGs are released with more than maybe two covers. So. Yeah. But again, that's to make a collectible. It's a whole. I, I I could probably talk a whole two hours on that crap. It annoys the <laughs> hell out of me. But 
Yeah, it's and honestly, that's really what kind of got my wheels spinning about this whole situation was uh, we like I said, kind of early on, we gave the keys to the kingdom to to these people as far as they got to, uh, you know, do all the cool stuff in D&D. They got to do it away from uh, the the rabble and the riffraff and put up those barriers and normalize those barriers being there. Um, kind of with, you know, okay, if people are going to pay to, to do this, then, you know, why not keep doing it? And cults of personality are very attractive. You know, Mm -hmm. people, people will fall into that. And in a case of, uh, Satine and Jameson people, I don't think where people were buying it because, oh, well, look at all these great writers that are working on it. Cause I don't know. I actually look at, you know. Do I recognize like well, the comic books? You you followed certain writers. I used to love yep. Peter David. He was one of my John Byrne before that for DC. But you mm-hmm. follow certain people. I have certain authors. If I see their name on a cover, I'm like, oh, I don't care what system they wrote for. I'm buying it. I'll convert it. I don't care. I believe in the case of Satine and Jameson, they built their cult of personality up that no matter what they were publishing. People are going to buy it because they weren't looking at the actual creator's names. They were just looking at the name on the tin. Yep. Absolutely. And that's rough. It's rough on a community because it doesn't give you a guarantee of quality. Maybe Mm -hmm. quantity, but not quality. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, to kind of wrap things up, I I want to uh, end with something more positive and... uh, with kind of a call to action here for uh, for those of you who are who are tuning in with us live or seeing this after the fact, because someone that you mentioned, uh, Darlene, currently has a a GoFundMe up, and you know Darlene is someone who has done a lot of great work in role playing. Yep. We were talking about her before uh, the show started, and she is someone who's been in this hobby almost since the beginning. Uh, Eric put a video out today talking about this uh, this GoFundMe that Darlene has up to uh, renovate the house that she lives in. So uh, without, you know, kind of me babbling on, Eric, can you give, again, a brief explanation of, of what's going on and, and why yeah. Darlene needs our help? Well, I mean, honestly, it was uh, I, I got a friend of mine on Discord sent me the link uh, yesterday and said, did you see that Darlene is looking to raise money to repair her house? It's a Victorian house. Uh, And uh, Darlene's an artist. She's a freelance artist. She does not have deep pockets and she does not have deep savings. And the house is in disrepair to a point where she was told by the city, if you don't do certain upgrades on it, certain repairs on it, the city will likely try to remove her from her home. She's looking at about 15 grand. Uh, last I checked, I think she'd already raised about 5,000. Uh, I had offered to do uh, a match of the first 250 that was raised by uh, people at the tavern, whether it was on fa- Facebook or uh, the YouTube channel or the blog side, and the first person on the YouTube channel uh, gave her $250 and said, you're, you're, here's your match. So any more money we can raise is just uh, icing on a cake. She is the nicest woman. Listen, I used to say that Merle, Merle Rasmussen, if you've ever met Merle, creator of Top Secret, Merle is the most gentlemanly uh, individual you're ever going to meet. Uh, Darlene is like Merle squared. I mean, she really is the sweetest individual, sweetest person. So uh, I really like to see this get hit. And listen, if, if, if enough people with the tavern go way beyond the 250, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find d- deeper pockets. We'll match at least than, than 500 because she is worth it. Uh, she's done a lot of good decisions too. She, she even told, she even messaged me uh, earlier today and uh, reminded me of the conversation that we'd had uh, at North Texas, where she was offered a certain amount of money from somebody I'm not going to name, uh, 
and she turned it down because Steve, her her ethics would not allow her to uh, take said money. And she said if she had taken it, uh, some of these repairs would have already been done. So uh, I really feel that you know she is a good cause and a good person. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and Darlene is someone I I met her very briefly. Not at this past North Texas, but the one before that. Um, and she's someone who I'd be very interested to talk to on this show. I don't know if she does uh, interviews or anything like that, but yeah, Darlene is someone who is definitely, uh, even in, in tough times like these, uh, a little bit helps. And, and this is someone that we as a... If there is such thing as the RPG community, this is the kind of thing that we should rally around. Yeah, good good people for a good cause. Like I said on my video, um, listen, a lot of us, not me, because I don't drink coffee. I know it's a rare thing for somebody who's a cop, but um, I know I know how much Starbucks is. Starbucks is because I worked with a lot of people who constantly drank it. Um, get one 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 of your Starbucks coffees a week, and just you know, give Darlene four bucks, whatever, five dollars. It's, it, it it isn't necessarily how much you give, just the fact that you can give. <laughs> honestly. Absolutely. And with that, I think we should probably bring uh, the, the conversation to a close here because we've hit on some heavy topics, yep. shall we say. Uh, you know, I, listen, uh, I always try to, like I said, aim for the truth. Sometimes the truth is is a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a little less savory, but in the end, it all it all shakes out. It all shakes out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we're kind of uh, winding things down here, uh, you know, you've got your blog, you've got your YouTube channel. Tell people where they can keep up with Eric Tankar and the Tavern. Uh, the blog is tankarstavern.com. And the YouTube channel, just do a search for Ten Cars Tavern. It'll take you right there, and uh, that's where pretty much everything. Well, I'm Eric Ten Car on Facebook too, but I mean, I'm I'm sure you've already found me. But honestly, uh, the the thing with me is, I know me. If I don't do something on a daily basis, I'm not going to do it. So the blog gets a daily post, and the YouTube channel gets at least one video a day. So that's what you're going to be looking for. Absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Thank you for uh, for sticking with us through this. Uh, again, like I said, heavy topic, not something that's pleasant to talk about, but something that I felt like needed to be discussed and you know something that I wanted to share my thoughts on. Uh, as far as what's coming up in August, uh, stay tuned for announcements as to... Uh, who we're going to be speaking to. I will give you a hint, though. I've been uh, receiving some uh, mysterious signals from the uh, the geospatial and uh, astronomical coordinates of Planet X, and I think we might have a uh, another encounter with uh, the creature who came from beyond Planet X, if you uh, catch what I'm saying, all of you bonehead faithful out there. I, I think... I think the uh, the space Camaro might be pulling up here at Rolling Bones once again uh, with with Levi Combs. So, uh, you know, I'll keep you guys up to date on on what's going on there, who we'll be talking with uh, next month. But until then, guys, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And if you can uh, check out the GoFundMe page for uh, Save Queen Anne uh, and, and help Darlene out with this one. And I'll see you guys next time.